deliverance ministry soon, pastor. All right, where are we? John 6, verses 22 through 59. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events, find Reservoir Church, and all of the scripture and notes will be there for you. Otherwise, it will be on the screen, and you can just sit and listen and see what the Lord has us for today. And so the big idea in this section of scripture is that Jesus will never cast out those that the Father gives him, and life will never be the same. So the gift the Father gives are those that believe in Jesus, and he's never going to cast them out, and life for those that believe will never be the same. It will be good. It will be eternal. And we see this in John 6, verses 22 through 59. It's a long chunk of Scripture, but hear the word of the Lord from John 6 today. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, Uh, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, uh, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. It's the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. A good and holy God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this sermon from Jesus that unpacks the reality first, Lord, of who you are and what the work you came to do is. Lord, as we open this text today, help us to see your heart for us, Father, that you desire to be in relationship with us and you have given us to the Son. And Jesus, that you keep us for all of eternity, that we are as secure as you are before the Father. And because of those things, we can now live. We can experience the abundant life that you have promised. Help us to see it, to hear it, and to live it today for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that, that's quite the sermon from Jesus, quite the, the section of Scripture. Um, and if we are more Pentecostal, you may have said a lot of amens even while I was reading the text. And so I encourage you today, as the Spirit moves you, feel free to respond because there is a lot here that should get at least 20 amens. So I don't know, somebody keep count. Who's got a tally, right? I'm kidding. You can just take notes and be dutiful, good Christians. Sorry, that was a joke. Okay, so some of us can't fully understand, if we, we think about things of the world, a kind of photography that is any different than the photography that we experience in the digital expression through our phones, right? And in fact, our phones are more camera than they're actually a device to call people. When was the last time you actually called somebody, right? You, we don't use them for that. But to take a picture and to do that, so there are many in this place, millennials and younger, that have no concept of a camera and the necessity even more of film to go into a camera that would take an exposure of a picture and then you'd have to wait for it, right? Because for many of us growing up, that's how you actually took 
pictures, unless you're trying to be like a hipster with a retro Polaroid camera, you may not understand this, that once you would be done with a roll of film, and it was either, what, 12 or 24 pictures on it, depending on how much you paid for the film, you took it to be developed, and then you had to wait days, right, uh, for it to come back, and you were hoping just in those 12 or 24 pictures that there is at least one picture that was good that you could keep to remember what it was you were taking a picture of and how different our life is now because you take like 50 pictures at a moment you're like well one of those will work right and then you just delete all of the others but ever needing convenience someone back in the day came up with the idea for disposable cameras the old people in here we we remember this craze and by old people i mean really just 30 and above right but they're pr plastic cameras preloaded with film that you used just for the amount of film it had in it. And then you turned in the, not just the roll of film, but the whole camera itself to be developed. Once you were finished with the purpose of the camera, you could dispose of it. And then you could just move on to another. And so we live then ever in this kind of disposable culture. This is the things that we like, that we can just take, use, and get rid of. And there are many things that act exactly this way in all kinds of corners of our lives. And sadly, it even happens in our faith. Like we can approach faith like we approach a disposable camera. We see the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for us just as an initial fix to a problem that's out there, just a gateway to something more important. But once it is believed or embraced, then we think we can just dispose of it and move on to, say, meatier things. Or we could have the view that is opposite, or rather than us using something, thinking of um, God's view of us just like disposable cameras. That God would claim us to use us for some purpose, and you just are existing to get essentially 12 good pictures out of us. Or if you're really high capacity, the Lord's going to use you for 24 pictures. And then he would just neglect you and move on to some other devices, to other people to bless or to utilize for his purpose. But our text today dispels the disposable mentalities that can creep into even our faith in Jesus. And what we discover is radically different than we, what we might expect. And it is exceedingly good to hear and to live from. It's that truth that Jesus will never cast out those that the Father gives him, and life will never be the same. So we have to set it up before we get into it this morning. Where do we find ourselves in this story of John 6? Jesus has kicked off his third year of ministry by claiming that he has authority that is given to him from the Father, from God in heaven. And there have been signs that have been confirming his preaching of this coming of the kingdom of heaven. There's been healings, casting out of demons. And here in our text, there's been a miraculous meal that fed thousands of people. And with Jesus still by himself on the mountain, since he wouldn't allow the crowd to come and force him to be king, the disciples get into their boat. They are uh, trying to keep on their schedule, we assume, and they head for Capernaum, which is just down the coast of the Sea of Galilee. 
And that must have been their plan. And then this is where Jesus walks on water and he joins them. And it's this beautiful, miraculous moment as he catches up with them. But then the next day comes and the crowd from the Feast of Barley, Bread and Fish went looking for that famous food vendor they had noticed the day before. And eventually they track him down as he teaches in the synagogue. And from the interaction in our text today, it seems that the people wanted more bread, which is totally understandable, isn't it? They had just experienced a tremendous miracle. They ate their fill of bread and fish. The one who had come had provided for them. What a gift it was. And maybe it seemed like more of a meal to some of them. It was special, and they desire more of it. That makes sense to us. And maybe today he will finally be convinced to be our king. So the crowd comes and Jesus says to them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. In this moment, Jesus changes the context of their experience beyond just some satiated tummies that would be full. He says there is food that brings eternal life. So the, the lens that we are now seeing things through is eternity rather than our momentary present existence. And in doing that, Jesus mentioned work. So, of course, the inquisitive crowd presses him to find out what the work they need to do is that they might get this amazing food again. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the food that endures comes through belief. And that's been his point for the last couple of chapters in John's gospel, that they would not just follow him for his fancy miracles, but that they would believe he was sent by the Father in heaven to unleash a new way of life, a new kingdom on humanity and the cosmos. The truth is, this reality, doing the works of God is just believing in the one he has sent, is a good news, it's a, a truth, a gospel that sabotages any notion of earning or performance-based acceptability with God. There's just before us belief or nothing else. This is what he calls the people to, and that sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Like we like that. We're, we're grace people. We're gospel junkies at Reservoir Church. So we're going to be all about this truth that you just bring your need to Jesus and he will save you and give you life. But the people hearing this for the first time, they want a sign. Like, well, what do you do to prove this? What can you do to show us that what you say is actually Real And then in this interaction, there's this historical comparison to the bread given to their ancestors in the wilderness when Israel came out of Egypt and was heading over 40 years into the promised land, that manna that God provided. And they said, Moses gave our fathers bread. What's your offer? What are you going to give us? This is where Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this is the bread they need. And seemingly from the text, this is the bread they want at this moment. And Jesus changes everything 
from this point in his talk, in his sermon in the synagogue, and he goes deeper here, and he unpacks how this all works, how belief equates to eternal life, and how he is the bread that they need, and that united to him, they get to live forever. And who it is that believes, that gets the bread, and has this eternal life. So as we continue in unpacking this text, there's just kind of three key points. First, that the Father gives. Second, that the Son keeps, that Jesus keeps. And third, that we live. So we start by looking at the truth that the Father gives. And here in John 6 is where Jesus shapes Christian theology for the rest of history. Because from these words, the tenets of our faith are essentially formed. And these truths are meant to be a joy for us because this radically changes how we relate to God, of what we are to look for and how we're to position ourselves. And Jesus tells the crowd that he is actually the bread of life. So they no longer need to look for manna, this image of him that was in the wilderness, but now they simply come to him, that they believe in him, and they will no longer hunger or thirst. And it's the Father that gives you the true bread from heaven. So the Son, Jesus, he doesn't actually come to earth to live in obedience and then die in innocence for us because it's his side hustle. Like, he doesn't do this under his own um, effort or urgency. It was not his plan to subvert the angry God that is far off. But it is actually God's plan all along that this bread of life, that Jesus would come. And I think we have a tendency, especially in Reformed churches, to emphasize the wrath of God that is real, judgment for sin. To the extent, though, the danger is that we end up to begin to view God just as this grumpy dictator that is ruling with an iron fist from heaven. And then we see Jesus as the gracious bridge that he is, but we end up thinking of Jesus as the nice one in the Trinity, right? And I would suppose it would be like how we can sometimes view our parents. Like dad is the curmudgeon or disciplinarian in the family and mom is the generous and kind one. Or for some of us, that's vice versa. But when dad and mom determined to do something exceedingly good for you as a child, you might in that moment think that it was only from mom because you expect her to do such things. But actually, mother and father were in it together and they both share the same heart for you. This is the reality for us when we think of the father and the son. Jesus gives us huge clues into the heart of God here. This is the God that is love, and it is the Father's will that Jesus would come, that freedom would be proclaimed, that sins would be forgiven, and that many would become children of God. The Son and the Father share the same strategy to save human beings. In in the text, I want you to underline and uh, highlight and everything in this is John 6 37 through 40 like this is the, the most important section here it says all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we know it's God's will that he would come and that the Father is giving him those that would come to him. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So everyone the Father gives the Son will believe in Jesus. God knows who is being saved, and they are his gift to the Son. And some hearing these words might be dumbfounded in that moment. How can it work this way? And even when we hear it, we, we wonder, shouldn't we be the ones to make this decision? And it's like, well, well, yes, you're making a decision, but we make that decision because God the Father has given us to God the Son. This is a beautiful mystery of how God's will and ours works together in salvation, but it is his plan to save. And Jesus has come by the will of the Father, the Father's will, his strategy, his plan, his decree is that everyone who looks on the Son, who believes in Jesus, who lifts our eyes to him, would have eternal life. So this means if you are here today, if you are listening online and you believe in Jesus, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. You have been from eternity given to Jesus by the Father. And we hear that truth, and some of us wonder if God actually gives good gifts, right? Because, like, well, don't you know who I am? But Jesus, here's what you need to know Jesus is exceedingly happy about you. Scripture tells us that for the joy set before him, he takes it all to the cross for you, his gift. He never looks to exchange the gift or upgrade. You are his by the will of the Father. And it, it, I think it rightly unsettles the crowd in Capernaum a little bit. After all, this is Jesus from the block, right? They know his family, and yet he comes from heaven. How dare he say this? And yet he retorts to them, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent, him draw, who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And the truth is, this word has not stopped unsettling crowds to this day. But this is the way that salvation works. That the Father gives. And those that believe in the Son are drawn and come because of the will of God. He uses his people to make his appeal to the world. And the Spirit renews hearts to believe. But if you believe, you have come to Jesus because you are a gift from the Father to the Son. Which is amazing. This is God's heart for you. That he loves you so that he would give you to Jesus. But there's more here. Because Jesus keeps. Did you notice it in that same section in verses 37 through 40? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Those that believe are a gift and they will never be lost. Jesus keeps those that are his. And this is the news that we need as we live. Because we are in the midst of a generation of tired, sinful, anxious people. And he still won't discard us. He holds us. He carries us. He's promised to, and that's what he's done. His work on the cross is unassailable and permanent for us. We are as secure as Jesus is, and the atoning work of the Son, decreed by the Father and applied by the Spirit, ensures we are safe eternally. Amen. What good truth, powerful truth. This is for us as we live in the midst of our circumstance in life. It is the Father's delight to freely entrust rebels into the gracious care of his Son. And the Son shepherds and keeps those that are his rebels and all. Jesus is never frustrated in saving us. This is what he's proclaiming when he says, I am the bread of life. I'm going to keep you because it's the Father's will. He says, whoever comes, I will never cast out. This promise is essentially provided to those that believe in Jesus to answer all objections to the finished work of Jesus. And it, it answers that. He says, I will never cast them out. Like even in the age of deconstruction and people freely um, like discarding their faith, that Jesus isn't discarding them. If they are a gift from the Father, they are kept. They have salvation in him. And John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, penned a poem um, that was an invitation to remember the strength of this promise. And he, he wrote and he said, But I am a great sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I'm an old sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I'm a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. I have sinned against light, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. See, what happens is we live and we think, well, pastor, that's just John Bunny. He's got his little list. But my thing... Surely that's where Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to cast you out. No, I will never cast out those who come to me. Those who are a gift from the Father to me will be kept forever. Christ's heart for you keeps you. You will be raised up with him on the last day. Our our small group's working through a book called Gentle and Lowly from Dane Ortland. We're going to give everybody in the church a copy of this book in August. You just have to be patient. 
But he, he wrote in a chapter on this truth. In order for you to fall short of the loving embrace into the heart of Christ, both now and into eternity. So if you're going to miss out on that stuff, Christ himself would have to be pulled down out of heaven and put back in the grave. So you are kept because Jesus rose from the grave, because he was victorious over death, because he satisfied wrath against sin on the cross. You are now kept forever. Amen. Amen. Like, do you hear this, saints? And this, this is how Paul says it to the Romans church. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Like that's like, you ever been to a rave? You ever been to a club? Or it's just me, right? I was a DJ. This is God dropping a sick beat. Right? This is, this is like, woo! We're going to get it. In glory, maybe, but we're going to get it. Like, there's nothing. You are kept by Christ, the bread of life that is given for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are secure as no one is putting him back in the grave. Your sin, your worst thing, like uh, we, we can we can have a competition, and I'm sure I would win. But you have to know the worst thing among us is not putting Jesus back in the grave. We are actually kept. We are His. We are forgiven, and we have eternal life in Him. All right. I'm gonna keep on preaching. Come on. You are kept by Jesus. Or you are kept for Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ. For eternity, the gift you are from the Father can never be stolen or ruined. You are kept. Huzzah! This is good news. He is the bread of life. He is what satisfies. He is what we need. He's the sign the people wanted to have. He is who we run to. He is who we come to. So the Father gives and Jesus keeps and we live. This is the one that we go on unpacking in our life together forever. But Jesus says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Given, kept, and made alive. This is eternal life. This is the promise of existence forever with our King, with Jesus as the radiance, the very light of our days, flourishing before Him, rejoicing in Him and creation forever. But friends, it is also for now to experience the resurrection life today. 
One writer says the eternal life that is promised to believers is a life they enjoy by faith, even in the present life before the resurrection of the dead. Like some of us, like that, maybe that's just our posture. We're li- we live like we're not going to get any of it until we're in glory. But Jesus invites us to live the truth of that eternal life in our momentary existence now, our present. We can meet the purpose of God for us as we live, enthused by his spirit, strengthened for the work of belief and loving our neighbors, loving the least around us, being the image of the kingdom in our neighborhoods. And we can do that because Jesus keeps us, because he is with us. I don't know if you've noticed our new pre-service little video. It's a drone flying over Kit Carson Park and Eagle Scout Lake. It's a great place to watch turtles that people gave up and put in the lake, essentially. But we love to hike down there. And in Kit Carson Park, there is this drainage tunnel. Anybody ever seen it? It's a big tunnel that goes from Kit Carson Park, and I'm pretty sure all the way under the mall. And on occasion, there's like a lot of bottles and graffiti and stuff down there, so I, I don't necessarily recommend it. But on a number of occasions, me and the kids, at least the two older ones, have ventured into this dark and scary tunnel for quite some ways, like at least 20 feet. <laughs> no, it's more than that, isn't that? One time I went in, but I had sunglasses on. I'm like, it is too dark. We have to go get out of here. And then I realized I had sunglasses on. That's my life. But I am convinced, like in this tunnel, my kids would walk to the end of the tunnel, wouldn't you, if your dad would just hold your hands and keep walking? Right? Ewan says yes. If there's an electric light, she'll do it. So not even dad, but you ruined the illustration. Ah. <laughs> right? <laughs> But there, there's something to that, like that presence, like if dad has a flashlight, then yeah, I'll, I'll go, right? If dad is with me, I can go through this dark and scary tunnel. And this is us with Jesus. We know we are kept, that he holds us, that we are secure. So we can walk through any of the tunnels of life as they come at us. We can live with hope and joy, the abundant life that he gives us, the untold adventure, the depth of peace and provision that he says are ours in him. Because he's with us, he's holding us, and because he's promised to keep us, he's not going anywhere. As the living bread sent down from heaven, Christ gives life to the bodies and souls of those who eat him by uniting themselves to him through faith. It says in verse 53 through 56, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, this is going to wreck the people, and we'll see this next week, and even throughout history, this has made some people outside of the church question, are are Christians cannibals? Because they're always going on about, 
eating flesh and drinking blood. But we know from the institution of the Lord's Supper that this is to symbolize his flesh and his blood shed for us on the cross. So this is belief in Jesus, relying on him, clinging to his flesh, his blood for us. That when we receive the gift of Christ for us, he says we abide in him. We remain in him forever. And we will live because of him. This bread is not like the bread in the wilderness. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The grace for life now is given by the one that is the bread of life. And it's an irrevocable life of eternity and this is our life this is the gift of the father to the son kept by the work of jesus in his heart for us and then we're just off to the races empowered by him for all of life this is where together we lean in and we encourage each other just to live this resurrection life this gift that we've been given of eternity having been kept with and by jesus this Teaching riles up the people in the crowd in Capernaum. And we might think, is it just too much? And the truth is, friends, Christianity, rightly understood, is radical. Jesus changes everything. All our ways of thinking are upended. This kingdom is different, and our lives will never be the same, but they will be good. So just as Jesus encourages the crowd, resist the grumbling. Trust in Jesus and rejoice that you are his. You are the gift that he has received and will keep forever. Huldrych Zwingli, an old Swiss reformer, says, From this gospel let us learn that all these things are found in Christ the way, the life, and righteousness. In order to live blamelessly and righteously in this age, let us deny ourselves, let us die to sin, and let us walk in newness of life. Let us experience resurrection life. Because Jesus will never cast out those the Father gives him, and life will never be the same. Friends, the age of disposable Christians is over and it actually never existed his purpose in you goes on his claim over you is forever so come to jesus and we don't know who is given by the father so we work to compel all to come in and meet jesus the gracious and loving king who gave himself up to secure forgiveness and life for you. So the invitation is to turn from the bread of this world and find instead the end of your hunger in Jesus. I promise he's the only thing that satisfies. He's the only thing worth giving all of yourself to. So come to Jesus. And then friends, as you have come, keep going. What a, what a time to be alive. The tides are rising, the troubles are mounting, but we belong to Jesus. We are kept, and his spirit empowers us. Lift thine eyes to him. You are promised life. Experience it. Uh, live it. Breathe it. We might need to carry each other for a long ways, but Jesus is carrying all of us. So keep pressing in. Keep asking. Keep trusting. Keep going. The bread of life has come. Now we can come to him. The Father gives. Jesus keeps. And we live.
may it be so with us. Now to him who is the great giver, who desires for all to come to repentance and pours out his loving kindness as an invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ, who to keep us faced the worst of humanity and the arrows of the devil, but was raised victorious. May we experience more of his resurrection life by the Spirit, living as the gift of the Father, kept secure by the Son for the glory of God now and forevermore. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship in response together.